Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast, where we dive deep into the intersection of financial services and technology. I'm Tearsheet's Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. On today's episode, we've got Brendan Coughlin, Vice Chair and Head of Consumer Banking at Citizens Bank, guiding us through the intricate world of banking transformations and how they're catering to the evolving needs of customers, including the Gen Z demographic. The conversation unfolds as Brendan shares invaluable insights into the big shifts within the banking sector, accelerated by the pandemic's digital thrust. He delves into how Citizens Bank navigated the change, emphasizing the critical role of digital while recognizing the enduring significance of in-person interactions, especially for Gen Z, the true digital natives. We explore the profound evolution of customer expectations, moving beyond mere convenience towards value creation and personalized experiences. Brendan sheds light on Citizens Bank's strategy, like the bank's Citizens Plus rewards platform, and its proactive approach to financial advice, leveraging data and analytics to enhance customer financial confidence. The discussion extends beyond products and services to encompass broader economic environments, unveiling Citizens Bank's strategy in navigating economic challenges, its differentiation in highly competitive landscape, and its concerted efforts to provide a holistic view of customers for personalized offerings while maintaining data privacy and customer trust. Here's my conversation with Brendan. Great. So who are you and what do you do? Uh, Brendan Coughlin. Uh, I'm vice chair at Citizens Bank. I run the consumer bank and wealth management for the organization. I've been here for 19 years. Wow. I mean, it's it's been a while since you and I last spoke, and I feel like the world has changed a lot, Brendan. So like, I want to start with like looking at the banking sector and um, particularly when it comes to Gen Z, like it, it feels like it's very fast moving here. Um, how does how do you think about citizens in terms of adapting to like changing customer preferences? How do you stay on top of this? How do you how do you how do you meet that demand? Yeah, uh, you know, through through COVID. Well, uh, actually, prior to COVID, it's no secret the uh, banking industry and for that matter, retailing in general was in the process of a pretty broad based business model transformation led by advancements in technology and digital. And uh, when COVID hit, it was a bit of a forcing function um, out of necessity of life that uh, you know customers that may have been more reticent to engage in digital were sort of forced to go there. And it really accelerated, I think, the world's transformation into being a digitally fueled economy by you know at least five or seven years. And there's no doubt that that happened in banking. What's interesting and what's emerging is uh, a banking industry post-COVID or at least post the worst of COVID, that uh, is very much accelerated from a digital perspective. Uh, but uh, brick and mortar and human interaction still is very critical to the ecosystem of how um, consumers want to bank and how they want to do their banking. And uh, that that is a transformation that's going to naturally happen over the course of the next you know handful of years and continue to accelerate. But if you stress it and look at Gen Z, which is really the 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 you know world's uh, first truly, truly digital native audience, uh, that's where the world is going. And I think it can be a bit of a beacon for how banks need to run themselves long-term. If you can get Gen Z right, uh, it's going to benefit your other segments, but it's also going to build the bank for the future. Now, what we see from Gen Z is an audience that prefers to do all of their day-to-day banking in a simple, frictionless, no-nonsense way. And that's led by digital. Everything needs to be one click, simple, easy, don't make me call, don't make me walk into the branch on the basics. But when you move from basic banking, uh, move money, uh, see my balance, make a deposit, when you move from that to 
help me understand how to pay for school, help me understand if I should buy my first home, help me understand how to think about starting my retirement savings. They actually are asking for that to be in person. So uh, hmm. it, it's actually stimulating a fairly broad-based transformation on how banks work from the inside out. But we have to think very differently about the role of physical channels and uh, the type of people that we staff them with, how many we have, and the type of technology that we invest in, and how to deliver, um, you know, digital advice uh, to various different segments. So that's really interesting. It's almost like an inverse of where you know web banking was initially. It's like digital first, but they do want they do want the in person experience for a I guess a higher touch or educational type interaction. Yeah, and and I think it's important. You know, people people think about digital and the natural um, first reaction is it's all about technology and what's in the palm of your hand. And while that's true, that's an incomplete way to think about digital. And you know, I'll rewind you back to you know twenty years ago. And one of the truths in financial services is that uh, customers of all affluency uh, would tell us that they don't feel financially confident and really financially empowered. And the reason for that is that to be close to your money you were manually balancing a checkbook and you need to do a lot of work to be able to stay close to it. And it honestly is too much work. And so customers just didn't do it, whether you're high net worth or whether you're living paycheck to paycheck. And so the advancements of digital actually now put all that data in the palm of your hand. And so if banks get this right, digital is not just about simple transactional banking in a self-serve way. It's about making your customers feel more financially confident and empowered. So, you know, you have a gym payment coming on Friday, but you don't have enough money. Let's alert the customer and tell them they need more money into it or more strategic things. Like you spent a lot more money this month on restaurants than you did last month. Was that intentional? Here's how that works with your free cash flow. Let us help you provide you advice. All of these things lead to a client feeling more financially confident. And that's without human interaction. But then that makes the human interaction that much more um, impactful for the client mm-hmm. when you can get scale insight and help people feel better about their money. They feel better about the brand and then they want to they trust you more and then they want to interact with you on things like buying your first house or retirement. And I, I like the way you explained that, Brendan, because like uh, the personal can be done in person, but like the automation is can be personalized. Does it sound it sounds to me a little bit like uh, the scenario you're describing as a bank being a little more proactive in terms of providing an advice layer, like before it happens, really reaching out, you know, to, to help their customers. That's, it's exactly, it's exactly right. And, um, you know, let's, let's kind of even pull up a little bit higher in terms of, um, you know, wh- what, how, how customers choose banks and then what does it mean in terms of how banks need to deliver, which, which is where you are going. Um, you know, again, I'll, I'll rewind you back to banking of yesteryear. Um, the, you know, when you surveyed customers, why do you pick a bank? It was for one reason, really, and it was convenience. Mm-hmm. And to them, convenience was defined by the proximity of your physical network. How close are your branches? How close are your ATMs? Mm-hmm. Essentially, all banks are the same other than that. So if you win the convenience game, you win you win the relationship and market share. Now, when you ask customers about that, you're getting different answers. They're picking banks based on value creation, the value prop you bring to them, uh, yes, indeed, convenience, but convenience is now defined by the simplicity of digital versus physical, and it's become table stakes versus a differentiator. So banks need to win on advice, on products and services, on differentiation, on value creation, not on convenience and proximity to your home. So it's forcing a very different model for banks to win long-term. And to your question, 
a big part of that is personalized digital experiences. That's a big value creation for the client, and it's got to be proactive. Banks need to view themselves as um, you know a real advisor to their client to really help them through life's journey um, in in a seamless way, whether it's day to day banking or big life events. You know, to be honest, our industry in the past really viewed itself as more transactional. Wait for the customer to come to us, and then we'll do a great job serving them. And we don't really have our arms around the data and information. And, we don't really have a great way to reach out to them until they walk into us. And so it was a very reactive model. So you got to, you got to win on value creation and you got to win on uh, proactiveness. And, and, and if you look at our industry, you know, there were 7,000 banks a couple of years ago, there's 5,000. Now there's going to be a lot less than 5,000. Uh, and so this whole dynamic is uh, it's, it's impossible to have 5,000 truly differentiated value propositions across the United States. Mm-hmm. So this dynamic is going to also force the industry to consolidate and provide more scale offerings on tech and brand and products to to customers. So it this digital movement really is much more than widget technology. It's really a revolution around over time around what banks do, how they serve their customers, how many will there be, and uh, and what really uh, customers value out of banks. So, so given the the pressure on products and services that you're describing and and rising consumer expectations, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges and opportunities for banks in the upcoming years? Yeah, I, I think it's a uh, it's an arms race on speed on some of this stuff. So, you know, how quickly can you actually make your experience really, really frictionless? Be a digital first bank. That's table stakes. If you if you're running a, if you're running a customer experience that requires you to fax stuff in, send paperwork. Um, sign with a, pe- a pen and paper. Uh, you know, you, you lost the game right there. So banks first need to think about just taking away the potential negatives, just really making the bank work in a much more seamless way. It's easy to say, but it's really, really hard to do uh, to change the way an organization works from the inside out. But then you really have to look in the mirror and say, what is differentiated about this firm? How do I create value for my customer that's truly different than the bank next door? So things that we've done as an example. On our everyday products and services, we introduced early pay. So your your employer wants to pay you on Friday. We took it uh, upon ourselves to pay you on Wednesday because we know the money's coming. Uh, that's you know a great benefit for some clients that live paycheck to paycheck. But even for folks that don't need the money two days earlier, what a brand message it sends to say you know your your employer is going to pay you on Friday, but we your bank took it upon ourselves to give you the money early. That um, builds trust. Um, we dramatically overhauled our our overdraft practices. We've mm-hmm. eliminated nine, almost 90% of our overdraft income over the last couple of years. That's taking away a negative. But those are things that, you know, disappointingly have been unexpected from the banking industry over the last bunch of years. So the more you can do that, we've innovated around um, student lending, around payments and our citizens pay business. And I, I don't mean this to be just, um, you know, a, a, a hit list of uh, all the all the wins that citizens have had. But um, as I give you insight into like, what are the types of things that banks need to do now to position themselves to be differentiated and, and win? It's those types of things versus, you know, in the past, I'm not sure banks had that innovation edge, honestly, because they didn't need it. You could be the most innovative bank in the world, but the bank next door was going to win because they had a better branch location than you. And so it just didn't matter as much. And now it does. And and it's just not the muscle that banks have historically built. I'd love to shift gears and talk a little bit about specifically about how regionals are, are facing uh, the economic environment we're in, obviously under pressure with inflation and stuff like that. Can you provide your perspective on, I guess, how Citizens is navigating through this this economic environment? Yeah, it's... Um, 
You know, look, in some ways it's a normal cycle. In some ways it's, there's, there's a, hand, there's a, a couple elements that there's nothing normal about it. And, you know, higher rates, uh, a, a potential pending recession. Uh, these are things that banks deal That's with. Cyclical, uh, right. uh, cyclical, right? Uh, but the pace of rates and how fast they went up, uh, the unnatural uh, level of stimulus that kind of came into the economy um, during COVID, I think in hindsight, clearly overstimulated economy. Uh, and, you know, there's no model that really can uh, accurately predict the knock-on implications around things like inflation, how sticky, how persistent is it going to be? And, you know, the Fed's made no secret about it that mission number one is 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 killing inflation. And so uh, they're going to do everything in their power to do that. And they are uh, with pace and speed of raising rates, with pulling deposits out of the banking system and into the Fed. All these things are putting pressure on, on banks. And then um, and then you add the bank failures of March with SVB and First Republic and mm-hmm. Signature Bank and so on and so forth. And it's really creating a bit of a, um, a stressful ecosystem. Uh, you know, the, the the solution to that is actually quite simple, but quite hard to execute at the same time. If you take care of your customers and they're highly engaged and they trust you, you have nothing to worry about. If you've got a diversified business model that uh, has stood the test of time, you have nothing to worry about. And so... Uh, when when the bank failures happened in in March, actually we had to open up our branches for longer hours because we were viewed as a flight to safety in the market. And we had literally lines down the street of SBB and First Republic customers that were pulling money and coming into citizens, a lot like they were doing at the big banks. Um, and um, and and so we've navigated it quite well. And I think you know, we benefit from the fact that our business model at Citizens is. Uh, heavier consumer banking on the deposit side than commercial banking. So when you look at our business, 70% of our deposits are consumer, 70% of them are FDIC insured. And so the volatility that some other banks maybe saw just didn't exist in the citizens business model. So we're able to play a lot of offense. And in fact, you may have seen that we went out and actually hired a lot of First Republic bankers and they're starting to build a private bank inside a citizen. So we took the opportunity to say, Look, disruption in the market. This is moving day. This is when brands separate themselves. You've got to, you know, job number one is manage the crisis well. But you know, if you can play some offense at the same time, you can emerge from this in a much better spot. So, you know, look, we we went public in 2014. Um, we've been a big transformation turnaround story. Um, you know, what we've been saying is that we uh, are, have out innovated our peers. And we, at a minimum, the structure of this bank now looks similar to other banks, and we're on a path to be very differentiated. And that's how we're performing. Our credit has been exceptionally well behaved. Um, you know, the, the health of the consumer is still really strong. They have more deposits on average than they did even pre-COVID, despite them starting to pay it down a little bit more. And our deposit book has been in growth mode more so than other peers. So we know we're winning the market share gain. We're doing things like the private bank. We bought a couple of banks. We're entering New York City, New Jersey with some, uh, you know, real muscle. Uh, and so we're excited about how we're performing. You know, nobody wishes an economic crisis or a recession on the economy, but uh, from a business standpoint, sometimes that provides the greatest opportunity to differentiate yourself and take share. And that's how we're looking at it. Yeah. And the brand definitely feels as an outsider, like it's on its ascendancy. Um, you mentioned differentiation. I guess that's a good segue to my next question. So in a highly competitive landscape, h- how do you position citizens? Um, how do you differentiate it from other regionals and what strategies are offering set you apart? Yeah, I think actually we have a lot that's very different than other banks. And um, you know, when, if you think about it first from a products and services standpoint, 
Uh, we've got uh, a top three student loan business in the U.S. Uh, there's not really any other um, significant regional player that has the share we have. So you think about attracting Gen Z, attracting the Henry audience, uh, us doing student loan refis, allowing, helping people get to school. That's a very big differentiator. Our consumer lending platform overall is incredibly differentiated. We're the number one home equity originator uh, in the U.S. right now. And so we're levering that to go attract mass affluent customers to come in and leverage. You know, There's never been more equity in, um, in folks' homes than there is right now across the U.S., and folks refinance mortgages at 3% rates that they're never going to touch. And so the only way to tap into it is a HELOC. And the good news is consumers are using it in a much more responsible way than they were in 2005, six, and seven. And so you're seeing a bit of a home equity boomlet and we're levering that product to actually drive uh, household growth. I mentioned some of the transformation we've had in our deposit business on really simplifying the offerings, uh, You know, uh, doing early pay, during uh, doing a 24-hour peace of mind grace period on overdraft. Uh, we also launched a product called Citizens Plus. Many banks are very siloed in the way they think about their products. Citizens Plus is a rewards platform that cuts across all of our products and services that um, really the mindset is if you do more with us, you're going to get more. So as you do more of your banking with us, your credit card rewards go up, uh, your discounts on loans go up, your deposit rates go up. And so we're really trying to bring a proposition to the market that rewards customers and incents them to do more with us. So that's very differentiating. And, and a lot of banks have a hard time doing that because they've got individual businesses that don't work as closely together uh, as you'd like. Uh, you know, our wealth management practice is growing. And then certainly this move in the private bank has been very distinctive for us on building out an offering for high net worth, ultra high net worth. And, and by the way, taking a play in the innovation economy, a lot of the bankers we brought over uh, are expert in uh, venture banking, private equity banking, and we use it for an end-to-end -end ecosystem of bank the fund uh, and then go bank the, the GPs and the LPs to bring uh, a private bank to them and 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 bank them personally and bank and get their wealth management. So there's a lot of very distinctive things going on at Citizens that I think when you dig below surface level commentary from the other banks, you're going to realize that uh, there's a lot that we're doing that others are not to really position this bank to be highly competitive with the largest banks in the country. Awesome. Um, can we talk a little bit about Citizens Plus? I, I think that's interesting. I um... So that's a rewards program that cuts across all the different business units at at, at Citizens, and I'm curious, like how you do solve for that. You know, if if those traditional BUs are are, are segmented and siloed, what what did it require? What kind of lift on your end to be able to kind of look see a customer across all those things? You know, you have to start with a team oriented culture inside the bank that um, you got to get the in the organization realizing we're here for one mission and one mission only, which is to you know, serve a customer end to end and, you know, legacy banks, organizational constructs, you know, in some cases unintentionally had banks lose their way in that regard, that folks are more focused on the product that they're offering and the way regulation is written and the way technology is built in, in the country, it's all by product. And so it's natural to kind of get buried in your silo. And so, you know, we've been on a mission to break that down. And so we've created the right incentive system inside the company. We've created the right technology linkages to say, look, we're all here for one reason. It's to show the, the customer has no idea that we have a home equity lending division. Three versus different the systems. Division. Yeah. And, like, and, and they shouldn't care. Um, and so we, we all, and, and I think that's the sweet spot that a bank like Citizens is in, is that we're big enough to matter for the U.S. economy as sort of a top 10 retail commercial bank. Uh, we've got the scale, we've got the offerings that are sophisticated that can outcompete the smaller banks. 
but we're small enough that we can do those types of things, that it's easier for me to bring that together than it might be at a money center bank, a top three bank where their businesses are so big, um, so massive that bringing it together in that way is just a little bit more challenging. So, you know, we looked at the financial implications, we looked at the customer benefit and we said, oh, okay, you know, credit card team, you're going to give away more rewards. That's okay, because we're going to get more deposits and we're going to get more wealth and the customer's going to be happier and they're going to stay with us for longer. And so, you know, let's bring this all together. We have to look at this really at the top of the organization. And so look, easier said than done, uh, but we successfully did it. And I think it's going to ultimately pay a lot of dividends, not just for the bank, but most importantly for our, for our clients. Yeah, I can imagine it was a big lift internally. Um, just sticking with that, um, well, that ability to kind of have a single view of the customer, are you looking at that um, for, I guess, more personalized product recommendations over time? Like is it the same type of structure? Yeah, absolutely. And we have, we have some of that today. We've made a lot of investments in data and analytics. And so from a marketing perspective, so to speak, uh, we've got really good predictive modeling that says, okay, you know, here's what the customer may likely need. Here's um, how we want to arbitrate sort of, do we offer them a mortgage versus a credit card versus a deposit relationship? So we're doing the right thing based on the customer, based on what they need. But, I, you know, in general, I think banks are just scratching the surface on their full potential and how to leverage data and information and behavioral trends, um, to not, not just from a marketing and revenue capture standpoint, but from an advisory standpoint to be that trusted advisor that you can look at their free cash flow and say, Oh, geez, it's been three or four months in a row that you've been living paycheck to paycheck. That's out of the norm. Do we need to talk and, and sit down and think about whether it's spending behavior? Or do we need to think about you know offering capital to you to help kind of restructure some of your debt to free up some? Like those are things that you know I think is uncommon for banks to do really, really well. And we've started down that path. And you've got to be able to deliver it digitally. You've got to be able to deliver it in a human way. So connecting in those insights into the distribution channels to do it in a seamless way is important. Um, and and we, we've done that. But uh, like I said, I, I think banks have just started scratching the surface. And you put on top of that things like, um, you know, some of the new aged machine learning, AI uh, kind of technologies that are, are emerging now, the potential to be able to step up and be an even uh, more helpful partner to our customers is very real. Uh, and um, you know, it's, we have so much data that there's a trick of not trying, trying not to scare anybody with big, big brother information either. So we're threading that needle on what's, you know, what are customers ready for in terms of the advice that they want and us using the data to try to be helpful to them to, you know, make them more financially confident. We, we've had a few executives, Brendan, um, on the show talk about AI. Um, part of it sounds like a, you know a very promising technology, and part of it, particularly in banking, we're dealing with money and and with the stakes high. It, feels a little bit un you know woolly to be able to, to i guess to guardrail it in how how are you thinking about i guess exploring ai and and thinking about you know where it impacts your organization and your customers there's huge potential in it long term um but i i i i sort of uh, say that also with a word of caution uh i think banks and you know industry in general needs to be really careful that they understand, um, you know, what they're doing, how to manage it, that it's, you know, um, delivered well to customers. Uh, it's using, uh, you know, like chat GPT can scan a lot of information. And I guess the industry word that people are using is the models can hallucinate a little sometimes and yeah. take fall in love information. With find it. Yeah. You can, you can Google anything you want in on, on the internet and find bad information. Right. So you have to be really careful. And, um, 
you know, as an example, this is public information, so I don't mind talking about a competitor, but when Goldman Sachs launched the Apple card, uh, they got in a lot of hot water for using black box kind of mm-hmm. AI models for underwriting and turns out it misunderwrote women and mm-hmm. had a disparate impact there uh, to uh, uh, unintended. And so you have to be careful about those consequences and really make sure that you've thought it through all the way through that when you add something like that in, that it's helpful, but also controlled and you're protecting against unintended consequences. But there's you know huge benefits on basic use case. Here's an example. So in a call center context, today sure. our call center agents take a call, they hang up the call, they put it on hold, they take some notes to make sure that you know we're following up with the customer. With with um, you know generative AI, we can listen to the call and mm-hmm. have generative AI subscribe prescribe those notes right there in the system, so the agent doesn't have to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And they can instead of taking five minutes, they can take ten seconds to scan it to make sure it's accurate, and then get on the next call. So we can dramatically improve productivity by taking out some of these tasks. So there's some basic stuff like that that you know maybe that's not transformational, but if you add up a bunch of those use cases, there's a lot of value that can be created to run the bank better, to add customer value. But it does need, it does, it, the, these new technologies, people usually get very excited before they, there's like a, a excitement curve of like yeah. a lot of excitement, a lot of fear, and then you find center. And you've got to just be rational and understand both of those dynamics that you're excited, but within, you got you got to be skeptical and also make sure it's well controlled. Yeah, and it does sound like the, the first use cases will be internal and back office and, and sort of operational. Um, I want to go back to something you said initially, which was you, you made a comment, Brendan, about how Gen Z differentiated between wanting to do most of their activities, you know, um, digitally, but for for educational stuff, uh, they wanted to come into the branch. I, I want to talk a little bit more about your view on um, the role of the branch in the future. Um, how, how do you see the evolution of the bank branch and its continuing importance in customers' financial lives? Yeah, well, uh, a couple points. So one, one I would say, um, you know, interestingly, uh, so so I believe I believe location, physical location, is a strategic imperative to be successful as a retail bank long term. Hard stop. Still, uh, and we see that still. Yeah, uh, but it's different, and I'll get get to that in a second. Um, if we think about our marketing as an example, we do, you know, whether it's digital marketing or direct mail, the responsiveness of prospective customers falls off a cliff when you exit, um, you know, a trade area where we don't have physical presence. Mm. So what does that tell you? That tells you that tells you customers, well, they might not want to come to the branch all the time. They do not want to bank with the bank that does not at least have that option for them should they need it. So it's a safety net peace of mind thing. And if so you don't have physical presence, um, you're really out of luck. And um, and so I, I start with that, that you need physical presence. And I really don't see that changing at scale. There haven't been very many pure play digital banks that have been wildly successful. Now they have been point to point on a product. So unsecured lending or, um, you know, high, high yield savings or a mortgage. But in terms of being your primary bank, there's really not a lot of pure just play. Ally, right? It's just ally. I yeah. mean, you could argue USAA, but they're such a unicorn mm. that right. it's not really a good comparable for most banks. Um, so, so if you take that as a given that you need some level of physical presence, you know, what banks like citizens are doing is saying, okay, we, we have almost 1200 branches 
And, you know, in the past, they were kind of one size fits all. They all did the same thing. You had to have them dance. You had them in, you know, every neighborhood. You had to be close to where they live, close to where they work. It's okay to not be like that anymore. So we're spreading out. We're, we're shutting some redundant branches down. And, and then instead of, instead of having one size fits all all over the place, what's emerging now is the needs of clients are so diversified, so different, and the frequency is very different. So I can have a big hub branch in a very strong community that has wealth managers and mortgage loan officers and business bankers and retail bankers, and it's a full service giant branch. And then around it in surrounding communities, I can have various different formats of satellite um, hmm. uh, hub and spoke. And the spokes can be cashless. They can be advisory based. They can be automated. Tell We have 100 branches that don't have teller lines and they have video tellers. And we take the cash out of them, allow people to do basic transactions. But if they need to have a cash transaction or foreign exchange, yeah, it's a mile and a half down the road. And the frequency of those transactions are happening um, in a, dimin- a diminishing pace, the customers are accepting the need to drive, not drive forever, but drive in a reasonable area. So so the whole format is changing. The level mm-hmm. of innovation on the types of formats are changing. The density is changing, but you do need them. Um, and then what that what that also forces me to do, it's not just about the physical presence. The, because, because the day-to-day banking is happening on your phone, the type of people that I need in the branches are different. So when you do mm-hmm. walk in, the likelihood that you're coming in to talk to me about something much more important is much higher. And so we're training people, we're hiring higher end people uh, to really move much more to an advisory model in the branches because I don't I don't need as many folks that are just there to turn the crank and process widgets. Customers in a lot of ways are doing that on their own. Um, and so we, we put all kinds of development programs in place for our retail colleagues, our branch colleagues to step up to the plate, learn how to be more advisory, learn the more sophisticated conversation. So it's really a seed change on how you use. So, so, you know, to weave those two thoughts together, yes, you do need branches. It's a critical imperative, but yes, also they will be fundamentally different in terms of the use and the type of people that are in them and the density. It doesn't sound like we're going to see cafes inside of citizen branches. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, well, well, that was a failed experiment, I think, um, at cap one, at least I think it was, they might tell you differently. Um, uh, you know, I applaud the innovation. I mean, I think if anybody tells you exactly what the right format is going to be for either retail banking or retailing in general, five, seven, seven years from now, they're 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 probably lying to you or a little bit overconfident. And so the idea of continuing to test different formats and listen to your customers and see what works and see what doesn't work, um, I, I think that's the mindset that winning retail banks will have have to have. And so that one in particular didn't sort of hit. We're not going to replicate that, but. But we are doing some other things. You know, we've got these video tellers. Could that work? It's working so far. Might it be? A bit, I don't. Know, we'll see. But you have to keep pushing the envelope and saying, how do you? How do you think differently to serve your customers better and uh, make sure you've got you know the right the right distribution model to provide the right advice. I appreciate that perspective. It sounds like that's probably the right strategy for any retail business, let alone financial services. You I think keep so. push, yeah, pushing I think the so. edge. Um, we're getting near the end of our conversation. I, I'm curious, like what your biggest challenges, your biggest opportunities, what you're focused on the rest of 2023, thinking about 2024 now, because we're knocking down that door pretty soon. Yeah, I, I'd say um, I'd maybe bucket it in, in two camps. One is just the macroeconomic backdrop and the state of uh, consumer confidence is challenging. And so in the short term, it's kind of run the bank well, make sure we have our arms around credit risk, make sure we're managing our deposit strategies well, 
um, and being there for our customers uh, that it, with high rates, with mortgage rates at 7%, uh, it's challenging for our customers. And and their their deposits, uh, before COVID, our customers had 17,000 on average in deposits. At the peak of COVID, they had 24,000. Now they have 20,000. And so they still have more deposits than they did before COVID, but it's starting to burn down. The stimulus is starting to burn down. So, you know, we're on a path of normalization. There's a chance that um, you know, there's some financial distress in the market. So mission number one, being a trusted advisor is run the bank well and take care of our clients and make sure we recognize the stress that they potentially are under and we're there to help. Um, so so that's, um, you know, one thing. And then two is just this dramatic transformation happening in our industry. And so we're marrying kind of that uh, macro backdrop with an, an uh, industry that's transforming faster than it has in the last three decades. And so how do you play offense selectively? How do we build the right technology stack? How do we really digitize this bank? How do we build up wealth management? How do we build this new private bank? How do we bring our products and services to life uh, for our customers, build personalized uh, uh, experiences, really reframe the physical network like we just talked about? So there's a lot of strategic stuff we're doing. And and I think it's a lot. And that's that's the challenge of any bank right now is Balancing all of those things is is somewhat overwhelming, and um, and figuring out which bets to make first and how to pace it is really important. But uh, speed also matters. Uh, the faster banks can get to the other side of the transformation, the more likely they're going to be to be in the winner circle to take market share. So uh, it's a tricky time. It's a tricky time, but it's exciting. And uh, certainly, financial services right now is not a steady eddy, sleepy business. This is. Uh, this is <laughs> there's a lot of complexity and depth to what needs to happen right now in our industry uh, to separate the winners and losers. Yeah, you're definitely on the front lines of history. I think I think so. I, you know, industry in my mind transforms usually every three or four decades, mm-hmm. uh, and and in between that, you get these continuous improvement uh, decades. And and I think we're in that transformational moment that you know everything's changing about financial services in the next three to five years are going to be critically important for um, the future of um, the industry and the backdrop and the competitive landscape and what it takes to win market share. Just, and if you don't have that orientation, you're probably going to get left in the dust. Brendan, thanks for joining us on Tearsheet Podcast today. Hey, exciting. Uh, thanks for having me.